Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Place like Pennsylvania, where every day you could find videos out of Philadelphia with literal zombie hordes rotting to death on the street, just criminal gangs running rampant and absolutely nothing done. Meanwhile, just out of town, a police force of dozens is kicking down the door of an Amish farmer and seizing his raw milk. I mean... That looks like quite the operation there, right? Oh, yeah. Quite the uh, shutting down this cr- this criminal operation. How dare this man feed people organic material? Don't you know that food is supposed to be filled with antibiotics? You know Don't you know it, it's illegal not to have your livestock in inhuman factory farms? It's disgusting. What were you going to say, Matt? Just what happens when people get hooked on milk. It's disgusting. (laughs) Just say no. Just say no to raw milk. Again, we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, Thomas Massey's been drawing some attention to it. And yeah, we have the footage. Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Just just a nice little reminder that nothing we're suffering through, like actually suffering through, right? Not not the the great civilizational burden of raw milk that we're living through, but, you know, like actual crime and illegal immigration and child sex trafficking. It's just a nice reminder that all of that is, is a choice that we're making because clearly we have plenty of manpower, plenty of capability to shut down anything we want. What the authorities want to shut down are your small-scale organic farmers. The things they allow to continue to operate are the horrific crime gangs. Meanwhile, conflict between Elon Musk and Mark Cuban. Musk to Mark Cuban, if you believe in diversity, when will you hire short Asian women to play on the Mavs? Ex-owner Elon Musk on Thursday cut through a rambling thread Mark Cuban posted, hailing the wonders of diversity by asking him when he's going to hire short white slash Asian women to play for the Dallas Mavericks. We live in a country with very diverse demographics, Cuban said. In this era where trust of business can be hard to come by, people tend to connect more easily with people who are like them. Having a workforce that is diverse and representative of your stakeholders is good for business. But that's not like me. I'm a white guy. So I tend to trust companies that are owned by white guys. That's what you're saying, right, Mark? It's like people tend to connect more easily to people who are like them. So that's why we need more people that are not like the majority of the population. Wait, what are we saying? Oh, everything we believe is just the most shallow talking points you can possibly imagine that dissolve under just the slightest scrutiny. Incredible. And we're reorganizing our entire civilization on this basis. Wow, what a what a concept. I wonder if that works out. And so Elon Musk responds, cool, so when should we expect to see a short white slash Asian woman on the Mavs, Musk said, dismissing Cuban's rambling is yamming if di was president in the nba for a single team that team would be the worst team in the league colin rugg commented it's kind of like how we're the only country in the world that are the only white people are the only ones that value diversity 
And things have gone so well ever since we made that decision. Biden to focus on Trump in speech near Valley Forge, marking three years since January 6th Capitol riot. Yes, folks, it's time for the, the, the new holiday, the new Democratic holiday where Joe Biden is going to give a speech where he says all of the things that make January 6th a perfectly valid action. He's going to do the thing that makes the actions on January 6th look like really far, far, far less extreme than necessary. When you've got the president of the United States who's going to yet again give yet another speech at yet another historical American, but this is kind of the thing. We've got Israel and the American government doing everything it possibly can to start World War III. And we've got speeches from Hassan Nasrallah, the uh, leader of Hezbollah, basically warning against this and explaining how it's going to uh, unfold. But simultaneously, we've got continuing fallout to the Harvard president being ousted. And it is, of course, being blamed on conservatives. The conservative backlash, conservative scalping, and conservatives aren't done yet. It's just like, okay, it's not at all what's going on. You've got more Jeffrey Epstein documents coming out that we want to get into. We've got just an incredibly stupid story about 10-foot-tall aliens in the Miami Mall. We've got Joe Biden ramping up, and of course, January 5th today, we've got the anniversary of January 6th, where once again, we have to rehash the just endless, ceaseless, bottomless pit of stupidity that we're just going to have to live through this every year of our lives, every year of our lives. It's going to be 50 years from now, and there's going to be big January 6th memorial ceremonies, January 6th museums right next to the holocaust museum we all have to remember what a what a tragic and horrifying insurrection it was that the brave and glorious federal government put down for the sake of democracy so i guess let's just do it i guess let's just talk about all of these things i don't know maybe i'll just Take mail, just open up phone call. Maybe we'll just go to phone calls all day today. Because honestly, honestly, we really got to do this. We really have to relitigate January 6th every year. We knew what happened on January 6th on January 6th. We all saw it unfold. And again, it would be it would be one thing if it was just treated as what it was. It's like it was like two hours of moderate trespassing, <laughs> but not even that. Like that's the thing. If it was just treated like, wow, those MAGA guys showed up and did the thing that Black Lives Matter had been doing for a year and a half, but they did it for like two hours, and that's it. Like that would be one thing. But then you actually realize what happened and you actually look into the video. You actually see the timeline unfold. You actually watch 
the police themselves open fire on a peaceful crowd. You actually see the point-blank murder of Ashley Babbitt. You see the beating death of Roseanne Boylan. And you realize, like so many things, not only is what the mainstream publication say about it, what the, the average person believes, not true. It's such a inversion of reality. And we compared it, and I remember... I think Greg Reese and I had like the same thought on the same day because I was just thinking, how would this be portrayed in any other time period without the just wholesale capture of the American media to push a a fake narrative? And you can actually compare it to something like the Kent State National Guard debacle where in the 60s you had a bunch of peaceful protesters who were gunned down by the police and it became a giant scandal and it's pointed to as a horrific abuse of the American government and a tragic story of peaceful protesters gunned down in abject violation of our most deeply held principles. I mean, it's seen as, as a, as the moment in America where we almost tipped over the edge into fascism and it was seen as a, as a real wake up call and a lesson of we can't, we can't have our government treating peaceful protesters like this. They just went out and murdered college students who were doing nothing wrong. And then you look at January 6th and it's like, okay, you've got a bunch of peaceful Trump supporters, totally unarmed, totally unarmed. The worst you can say is like guys brought like flagpoles, which again, in context, in the cultural reality that we're dealing with, Every time Trump supporters would go and march in D.C., it happened literally the day before. It happened the week before in D.C., where you had mobs of Antifa assaulting, like, families, just people walking down the street being assaulted by Black Lives Matter and Antifa, beaten, like fathers trying to protect their young daughters from rabid communists attacking them. So even in context, it's like you probably – like it makes perfect sense to bring a weapon – because every time you go to D.C., the police stand down while mobs of Antifa are given carte blanche to assault children. So, yeah, you're going to want to bring weapons. But nobody did. Nobody brought weapons. Just a bunch of peaceful protesters showed up for a protest at the Capitol who, just like the kids at Kent State, were gunned down by police. Nope. No police died. No police died. Let me say that again so everybody can hear me in the back. No police died on January 6th. Did did you hear me? No police died on January 6th. No politicians died on January 6th. No employees of the Capitol died on January 6th. Nobody was even significantly injured except for police who were caught in the crush. Oh, oh yeah, and also the five protesters who were murdered. The protesters who were shot in the chest from three feet away without warning after a police officer moves out of the way to allow them egress through the doorway. So, like, that's the thing. I Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. I don't even know. I don't even know how to talk about this stuff. It's so blatant. It's so obvious. It's all just right there for everybody to see. It's just infuriating to have to go through it over and over again. Biden to focus on Trump in speech near Valley Forge, marking three years since January 6th Capitol riot. I'll just say it again, as we've said since since January 6th. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if it was a real insurrection? Can you imagine how different those images would be if instead of showing up for a peaceful protest to try to participate in the democratic process by which the election is certified? Can you imagine if instead Donald Trump supporters showed up organized? Because, you know, there's like there's like a way things are kind of supposed to go. If if people just had. I don't know, just the ability to think for themselves, like I don't even know what it is at this point that we need. Because whether it's January 6th. Jeffrey Epstein, or again, the, the story of the Harvard president. Like, that's, that's the one that really just, like, baffles me. Because everybody, everybody saw what happened. Like, I don't know. I just, honestly, honestly, I don't, even, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> You've got these headlines You've got, you've got, what's his name? Al Sharpton out there marching around acting like this is an attack on black women in academia by racist white people. And saying, we'll, we'll fight for DEI. We'll, we'll fight for diversity. And it's just like, that woman was ousted because she wasn't a Zionist. What is complicated about this? Here's Al Sharpton leading a march about it. Big sign, diversity, equity, and inclusion behind. First black and first black woman president. It's about they used her as a scapegoat to fight DEI. Nothing has diminished DEI at Harvard University. The person who replaced her is just as dedicated to DEI as everybody else. Like this is the thing. It's just like what is going on? A conservative attack helped to fan the outrage. Nothing has even remotely happened to damage DEI. The person that replaced her is just as dedicated to diversity it's like the leader of the diversity pledge at, at Harvard. Like, just what are they even talking about? Like, I don't even care about this woman. I really don't. I mean, I'm not like going to bat for Claudine Gay. She can go jump in a volcano for all I care. I really just couldn't care less. Our, our academic system is so thoroughly saturated with 
communist incompetent losers at this point. You you can kick one out. It, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. But at least be honest about it. At least be honest about what obviously happened. This all started because she allowed Palestinians to say, or Palestinian supporters, not even Palestinians, just liberal socialist lefties at Harvard, to say, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That's why she was ousted from Harvard. Is that complicated? She refused to say that chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, was a call to genocide against Jews was therefore anti-Semitism and should therefore not be allowed under the free speech. There are a million different things wrong with that, right? It's not a call to genocide. <laughs> Even if it was, it's still called free speech. Yes, free speech includes anti-Semitism. It's really not that complicated. So, again, it's not like... Like this headline, honestly, this headline just put me in a terrible mood when I first saw it this morning. Black women at Harvard say Claudine Gay's ouster reflects a system that wasn't built for them. So she was the president of Harvard. But somehow this, somehow her being ousted because a bunch of Zionist contributors to the harvard fund withdrew hundreds of millions of dollars like you get that that's what this was right that they didn't have somebody in the position of president who was willing to destroy the academic concept of freedom of thought or free speech for their political and geopolitical gamesmanship so she was ousted because you had a bunch of extremely wealthy jewish donors who said we are now withdrawing our hundred million dollar a year gift to Harvard until you replace her. They used financial extortion to expel her. Had nothing to do with DEI. Had nothing to do with her being a black woman. And this all just happened out in the open. This, this, I just feel like I'm taking crazy pills over here. The way things just get like transmuted. And again, it would be one thing if there was like a big anti-DEI push and the most exemplary people in academia who, you know, just were the leaders of the DEI movement were ousted on the basis of their support for DEI. But somehow it's like because she doesn't bend the knee to the billionaires that are funding her school, she gets ousted on the flimsiest excuse of plagiarism. I haven't looked into it. I don't even care. It, like it, it, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. In the same way that it doesn't matter if Trump overvalued Mar-a-Lago. You know the people doing these things don't actually care at all. But then to have it, so like we, it just, it's just one of these stories where it's like we, as just conservative Americans, especially me personally, as a white Christian conservative 
American just gets nothing, never gets anything. We can we can complain, we can complain, and we could debate, or we could boycott. Just nothing. We get nothing, nothing in this world, right? Just the entire purpose of the American government, it seems at this point, is to target us for destruction by any means possible, spiritual, psychological, physical. We get nothing. Then a bunch of billionaire Jews kick out the Harvard president and everybody's mad at us. It was just one of those things. Just one of those things. If you're going to be mad about the ouster of Claudine Gay, be mad at the people that ousted her. Be mad at the people that did this to her. Like, it's, (laughs) I don't know. I just, I don't even know. It's like, it's like white Christian American doesn't give a damn about any of this crap and also thinks that the people chanting from Palestine from the river to the sea like they're just they're cringy weirdos I'm I like Palestine I don't want to see the Gazan people massacred but I also cringe anytime I see the other people that feel that way being dramatic weirdos and blocking highways or whatever they're doing 2011 email discussing an interview to promote her planned book she said Clinton walked into VF Vanity Fair and threatened them to not write sex trafficking articles about his good friend J.E. There's no evidence for her wild claim, and it seems unlikely the foreign president would intervene in such a public way. A spokesman for Vanity Fair's then-editor Graydon Carter told The Telegraph this categorically did not happen. Epstein himself, however, did allegedly prevent Vanity Fair from publishing reporting from journalist Vicki Ward, who had interviewed sisters Maria and Annie Farmer about their abuse by the federal uh, pedophile financier. Ward said in her 2022 podcast that Epstein threatened her, telling her, quote, I have reports here about you, your husband. I have everything under the sun that was sent to me by people who want to be helpful. Vanity Fair said the claims of sexual abuse were not included in her uh, 2003 published article because they were added late and did not meet legal standards. Again, it's kind of funny. It's like Clinton Epstein threatened to threatened vanity fair against reporting like that never happened it's like oh so you did report it and they're like no no we didn't no we chose not to we chose just to keep all this hidden i guess pretty wild Uh, Quote, I was doing some research yesterday into VF. It does concern me that they could want to write about me considering that B. Clinton walked into VF and threatened them not to write sex trafficking articles about his good friend J.E. Ward insists that her then editor of Vanity Fair, Graydon Carter, removed her damning allegations about FC in 2003. Carter said the reporting did not meet their legal standards and his editors alone made the decision. Oh, but how could a big conspiracy happen? You'd have to have thousands of people in on it. How could you control all of the media and prevent them from speaking out about it? It's just impossible. I just can't imagine a situation where you've got so many thousands of people who know something bad is going on but do nothing to stop it. You know, people are good. They don't let that type of thing happen. (laughs) Meanwhile, 20 years ago, there was bombshell damning evidence of a sex trafficking rape ring going on with minors that was 
made aware to uh, people at ABC and the people at Vanity Fair and probably everybody at every mainstream political outlet. And yet they didn't report it. That sort of gives you an idea of the scale and scope of conspiracy that's possible in the modern age. It tells you how thoroughly blackmail can control an entire media landscape. And, you know, yet again, I just can't, can't even imagine being one of these people, man. Can you imagine, can you imagine having information about Jeffrey Epstein in 2003 and your editor blocking it from publication and you just go, oh, okay, yeah, all right, oh, 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 standard, sorry, oh, legal standard, sorry. Yeah, I can't, can't say the thing I know to be true, provably. <laughs> and can you imagine? And I mean, it's, it's the craziest thing because that makes the story so much better that they try to stop it. That's what you do. You add a line in the story that says, when we reached out for Bill Clinton to comment, he stormed into our office and tried to threaten us to shut down this reporting. Uh, honestly, I just I cannot imagine a situation where we're like reporting on some famous politician and they come storming into the InfoWars office and we're not just immediately filming him going Oh, you're trying to stop us from talking about this, are you? Oh, you're really, you seem really desperate. You came down here personally. You must really not want us to say this thing that we're saying right now. You're just like doing it live, just getting massive views, just like. So. Meanwhile, of course, the story that we covered yesterday was from Vanity Fair, where the whole point of the story was using the Epstein list to attack Trump supporters for caring about pedophiles, to denigrate and castigate and undermine the legitimacy of trump supporters who just know what's going on who are just aware of the elite pedophile rings that are proven out in court documents so whatever they did to vanity fair worked pretty well 20 years later they're still not just not publishing the information they're actually writing hit pieces in defense of the pedophile network so well done I, I just, just really hope, really hope that people realize how different InfoWars is than other media publications. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're on the right or the left. I legitimately cannot imagine not covering something, and I can't even imagine how anybody could stop me from covering something. I'm literally talking to you live right now. I could say whatever I want. Nobody can stop me. And if Bill Clinton marched in here today to try to stop the publication, it would make the story that much bigger. He would also be met with uh, extreme force from our security guards who are top notch and will detain him. (laughs) Maybe you should try. Yeah, come try. come, Come try and stop us, Bill. Just just imagining a world 
not run by cowards, <laughs> a world of media run by people who care more about the truth and stopping pedophile kidnapping networks than they do about appeasing the uh, lawyers in the HR department. But I guess that's what sets them for apart. Let's go to your phone calls. Uh, I want to go to Forrest in Austin. He's a first-time caller. Thanks for calling in, Forrest. Great name. You're on the air. Hey, Harrison. How you doing? Good, thank you. What's the answer to 1984? 1776. Thank God. I just want to thank y'all for what y'all been doing for so long. I've been a listener for 10, 15 years now. And it's just, you can't get this kind of information everywhere else. It was such a shame when they took y'all off of YouTube and everything else. You can't find anything about Alex on there unless it's a court case. Mm -hmm. But are still doing everything he can online on InfoWars and Band.Video. And it's really just the most admirable thing that I've ever seen. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, I can speak for him when I say it has not been easy. Has not been easy okay. for, for him, I know. It's been, easy, it's been easy for me. I don't have to deal with all this stuff. I don't have to deal with all that stuff. I just come <laughs> on and do my show. And I can barely handle it with all the bad news that we're under. So I, I just... I'm in awe of Alex uh, Jones's um, persistence in this and ability to uh, to weather the storm. Yeah, thank you for the call, Forrest. Well, what's on your mind today? Well, I'm just waiting for the rest of this Epstein stuff to come out, which I I'm I'm real real careful with getting my hopes up. I, if it comes out, it, it's been in their hands for so long. Mm. Who knows what's real with it and what's not? You know? Yeah. We we already we already know all the stuff about who was there anyways, just from association. Right. And I don't think anything's really going to come of it other than the people that already know getting some reassurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, I think you are, uh, you are right. I don't know, maybe this would be a good time to go out and do like a man on the street or something because I don't even know what normies think about this. Do, like, do normies even know for us? Do they even know about Jeffrey Epstein? I mean, they must, right, by this point? Well, well, they know about Jeffrey Epstein, but they and they know about Bill Clinton and they know about all the regular stuff, but they don't really seem to understand how that impacts, right. you know, our, our, you know, geopolitics and everything else like yeah, that. Yeah, they don't, they don't, I'll, they I'll, don't sort of follow the, you know, follow the inevitable conclusions, you know, down the chain. There is a book called The Apocalypse of Yaj Navakila, and before you just discount the book. Know that it's published by the library at CERN and hosted at that library. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in this book, he predicts the solar maximum to be somewhere around the order of twenty five times greater than the Carrington event, and that we will see a pole reversal. So I think what they were doing is using that as a lead in to, you know, all the other events that were man made. So I think that they're expecting the solar maximum to be achieved. In addition, the deer, the deer, um, there's, they, they tend to orientate themselves in a north to south uh, direction continuously, in particular when they're grazing. There was a study done of some 8,500 images taken of deer grazing around the world and they seem to always be orientated south to north, north to south, and that's magnetic north. Right. So I think, and again, this book's published by the library at CERN. 
So we have two opportune times. We have uh, the solstice, where the sun is highest in the sky, and then we also have when we are at perihelion, which is actually today, where we're at our nearest proximity to the sun, and that's when it would have the greatest impact of any, you know, uh, mass coronal ejections. In addition to that, it's a definitive period. So there's something like 11.65 years, you know, between peak to peak or something like that. I got to do a little bit more research to figure that out, but I think it's 2025. Hmm. Well, you've done more research than I have into it. I do know that the Earth's magnetic field is sort of uh, uh, acting a little bit wonky these days. Solar Cycle 25 is here. NASA NOAA scientist explains what that means. And Um, we've we've already had uh, auroras as as far south as, you know, far north Texas. Mm. So it's active, um, and somebody, you know, believes it. And there's only one other thing. There's a misattribution made. Uh, the progenitor of the thought, um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, it was Nietzsche's uh, predecessor, Arthur Schopenhauer. So although he, Nietzsche did say it, he is not the original uh, thinker of that thought. So Just for the record. Also sounds good, but not not really true, is it, Nick? I can think of a lot of things that make you weaker but don't kill you. <laughs> but well, it sounds good, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I know my mother had to say it to me when I was picking up trash off the garage floor that the dog had chewed up. So yeah, it's, I've had to hear it's, it's a good for lesson. a long, long period. <laughs> All right, thanks for, thanks for the call, Leatherneck. Yeah, I don't know about the – I mean, it seems to me like something like, you know, the sun is so – so wildly powerful, so hugely unpredictable. I, I have trouble taking any like predictions about it seriously because I mean the coronal mass injections that we're seeing, they're like they're ten times bigger than Earth. It's like impossible to even imagine the scale that the sun the sun is operating at. So, you know, uh, they can make predictions and maybe things happen in a somewhat uh measurable pattern but i also have the feeling that the sun could just turn red tomorrow and they would have no idea why or what was happening i mean it's uh it's forces beyond our comprehension in many ways but let's go now to james in tennessee parallels between bolsheviks and today's left sort of one and the same aren't they james oh absolutely thanks for taking my call harrison sure but uh, I've been a listener since about 2009, and uh, I'm an avid studier of history, and I can see the parallels clearly between the Bolshevik Revolution and today's left, because they got all these little groups dividing people. You had the the Reds, the Whites, Cossacks, much like today's left, where you got the BLM, the LGBT, and all these little paramilitary groups fighting for power. Mm. And it it it, it just it it's going to lead to assassinations, to, and not like the CIA has been doing for decades where they do it in secret. This will be out in the open. Right. And then you see how they're telling farmers that they're bad, they're capitalists, they need to uh, reduce their energy and all this. It's, it's just getting, it's getting insane. Yeah, uh, expand on that a little bit because that is one of the striking 
uh, similarities is the demonization of farmers and the manipulation of food systems. And I even pointed out on uh, X a couple days ago showing an image where, you know, when the uh, early American settlers were having trouble dealing with the Native Americans, they realized, well, we, you know, we can't really get a grip on the Native Americans. They're too fast. They too, you know, too wily. Like they understand the, the landscape better than we do. So let's just kill all the buffalo. And they literally went on a campaign of extermination of the buffalo explicitly to deny natives their food. They basically went, if they, if we kill all the buffalo, they'll have nothing to eat. They'll have to leave and go, you know, elsewhere. So, I mean, this is like a well-known and historically practiced uh, activity, killing off the food supply for a group that you want to either destroy or control. And of course, in the Bolshevik revolution, it was like, it's sort of up for debate whether it was on purpose or by accident. But certainly the mass starvation was a direct consequence of the uh, socialist policies that we're seeing reborn with the World Economic Forum claiming that they're saving us from uh, cow farts by you know, destroying our food system. So expand on that a little bit, the, the similarities between Bolshevism and uh, what's happening today. Well, um, back, back in those times, they were te- uh, the Leninists were telling people that, oh, that's your land. We all have to be a collective, mm-hmm. and you don't have property rights. And then also, there was one story I was reading where these uh, people had raided this farm and was going to kill the farmer and his and his people. And the mother said, "Don't take my milk. I don't have anything to feed my child." And then the the revolutionaries they said, "Well, if we can't have your milk, then nobody can." They killed the woman. They killed her baby. And I feel like that's what's going to come next. I mean, that is the thing. That is the impression you get from history is the extremity to which people will go and how, I mean, people will do things. Normal, seemingly normal people will do things that would make, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer blush. Like, it is horrific. The killing of the royal family. I mean, the children – the parents, I mean, it was a brutal and horrific massacre. Conversation, if you can even call it that, is carried out in the mainstream media. Where, like, these things are really not complicated. They're not difficult to solve. All of it is injected with insinuation and and accusations about bigotry and discrimination and racism. It's all very simple when you just shed all of that stuff away. It doesn't matter what topic it is. Transgenderism is a, is a perfectly clear one, perfectly obvious. Children should not have their genitals mutilated. End of discussion. It's not complicated. It's not hateful. It's not bigoted. Children should not have their genitals mutilated by doctors or parents or kitchen knives or any other implement. It just shouldn't happen. And that's where the discussion should end because if you disagree with that, you should be locked up. You're a psycho and there's something wrong with you. You can couch it in whatever language you want. You can talk about whatever, mental illness and acceptance and tolerance. Children should not have their genitals mutilated. 
How are you going to argue with that? It's a, that's it. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. And it really is as simple as that. How we can even move beyond that statement is, is baffling to me. And by even trying to contend with the statements that tried to justify genital mutilation of children, you're just playing a losing game. Children should not have their genitals mutilated. The end. The border should be secure. We should defend our border from invasion. The end. Oh, well, asylum seeker, a refugee status. Well, actually, I believe that. No, 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 no. The country needs a border. The border needs to be defended or it's not a border. We should defend our border from people crossing without our permission. It's just that it really is that simple. And it's like literally everything. It's just like it should be that simple. Jobs and positions at university should not be determined by immutable characteristics. The end. Skin color, race, physical attribute, whatever, whatever. No, just it sh- should have nothing to do with it. Oh, well, but actually we're making up for 400 years. Of- no, 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 no. <laughs> it's just, you're just simple. It's all so simple, folks. So this may give you a little bit of hope. Uh, this, again, is uh, New Hampshire Representative Wheeler voting and explaining his vote to ban the mutilation of minors. Let's watch. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you for that reminder. I rise today despite the uncomfortability of this vote because, for me, it comes down to whether or not kids should be able to get these surgeries. And despite the fact that I am a liberal, despite the fact that I believe in non-discrimination for trans people, for gay people, for queer people, and that I will fight until my very last day, until they are recognized as human beings. The question before us is whether or not children under the age of 18 should be able to get these surgeries. And I, despite being a liberal who believes in those human rights, do not think that is the case. And when the question is put before me, and I spoke to people until 11.30 last night, lobbyists, different stakeholders, people with first-hand experience, lived experience, and I've been speaking to people for the last four weeks about this bill, the, the only argument against it being that this opens the door, the amendment specifically opens the door to other bad trans bills. But folks, the slippery slope fallacy I don't think applies here. We're talking about whether or not kids should get these surgeries, and they should not. These are irreversible surgeries. And despite the fact that there are medical exceptions which are included in this amendment, when people have problems with their genitals that need to be addressed, that, that should be addressed. But, but when we're talking about whether or not kids should get these surgeries, I think that goes a bridge too far, and I, I, I will not be signing on to that. So I will be supporting this amendment, and I appreciate the work done in the Health and Human Services Committee. They worked very diligently, and if you want to watch legislating being done in real time in a really good way, I would recommend that you watch the committee hearings on this bill, the work session on this legislation, because they diligently took all people into account, they took all experiences into account, and they came up with legislation that protects children under the age of 18. This is not a question 
of whether or not you're with the trans community. This is a question on whether or not you believe children should be able to get these irreversible surgeries. So again, despite being a Democrat, despite being a liberal who believes in human rights, I don't think that children should be able to get these irreversible surgeries. So I'll take all the heat that comes from this. I will be voting for this amendment and for OTPA if it passes. The bill in its original form I think is too broad and I won't be voting for OTP, but I will be voting for OTPA if the bill passes and for the amendment if it passes. And I hope all of you on this side of the aisle who definitely believe in human rights, who believe in protecting non-discrimination, would consider the irreversible surgeries that kids are going to be getting if this bill does not pass. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and I urge you to join me in supporting this amendment. Oh, literally as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And it's it's just simultaneously, right, the, the bittersweet reality of a video like that where it's like, a, it, it, I mean, it feels to me like a breath of fresh air, right? It feels like you've been in a stuffy, hot, like you don't even realize it until you step out into fresh air and you go, oh my God, I can breathe. I didn't even realize it was so stuffy and squalid in there, but oh, I can breathe the fresh air. It's like, oh my God, a, a politician who just says no to genital mutilation of children. It's like, oh my God. So that's the sweet part. The bitter part is he's the only one. You've got Republican uh, Republican uh, Governor DeWine earlier this week vetoing a bill. Much easier to do so. And that is the Alex Jones NWO Wars video game, computer game. It is now available on Steam, which is the most popular gaming platform on PC. And it immediately shot up to the top of the trend list. Alex Jones NWO Wars is now a top trend on Steam while receiving an overwhelming amount of positive reviews on the premier video game digital distribution service. You can download it for yourself or you can gift it to a friend. This action-packed shooter, it's 20% off for the very appropriate price of $17.76, now available on Steam. Get it today. Buy it for your kid cousin. Download and if anybody uses Steam, I'm sure I don't need to tell you, but it makes it very easy to like buy games for friends. You literally just have to have their Steam name. And you just can buy it on Steam and just type in their Steam name and it sends it to them and downloads straight to their computer and makes it a very easy and convenient way to give gifts. If you want to give this as a gift, and it is an extremely fun game, not only because of the novelty factor and the fact that you're playing as Alex Jones and all of the Easter eggs that you see as you go through all the various nefarious new world order characters that you destroy on your path to victory but it also is just a genuinely good game built from the ground up with totally unique and original artwork you know we said it when it first sort of came out that it wouldn't be hard to use some of the programs they have now where you just take a, a game that's already made and reskin it you know just put different different visuals over it or just to put together a really simple game that was fun for five minutes but it was just sort of a novelty we could have gone down that path we could have gone that route would have been easy would have been cheap but it would have been not a great game so instead 
what these guys did was just from the ground up, completely original. Every sprite, every piece of artwork, the levels themselves are very thoughtfully designed. It's actually an extremely well-produced game uh, that is well worth it at full price, but you get a 20% off right now on Steam, and I encourage you to, uh, to give it a try. It really is fun, and it's something that anybody can pick up. You don't have to be a professional gamer to get into it. But, you know, the best games have the skill level where you can pick it up immediately, have no idea how to play games, and still have fun with it. But you can also be extremely talented and really good and get the most out of it and maximize your uh, points. And, you know, I mean, all the best games that last forever and that are still being played, things like, you know, Halo that came out 20 years ago but is still, like, on the top charts in terms of uh, multiplayer games, that sort of stuff. You know, it's both easy for the beginner to pick up and play and have just fun with, like it's an arcade game like Donkey Kong, but then also if you really get good and really figure out, you know, get the feel of it down, uh, then you can actually be like super, super good. And it's even more satisfying to be super skilled in it. So uh, it's a game for all ages, a game for all taste. It's NWO Wars from Alex Jones, now available on Steam. With that, we got to your phone calls. Billy in Oklahoma wants to talk about January 6th, the Great Insurrection Billy, Civil War 2.0. I still remember where I was. Uh, How's it going, Billy? What are your thoughts on January 6th? Well, I had a theory about January 6th, if you'll humor me for a moment. Yeah. Uh, So Alex Jones went to January 6th, got in trouble. Owen Schroyer went to January 6th, got in trouble. But you narrowly dodged a bullet. I did. uh, By saying say it back which can only mean one thing oh no you work for the jews oh thank god i thought you were gonna say the, i thought you were gonna say the jesuits i thought i'd been found out no i yes uh, i got the, i got the warning text the day before you seem nice don't go to january 6th no i uh-huh I, to be honest praise god i i have the best uh you know whatever you call it uh, excuse in the world. I was literally live on the Alex Jones show reacting in real time to what was going on on January 6th. You cannot say for a moment that I knew what was happening or knew what was going on. I was literally reacting to it live. To be fair, I was also very into what was happening while it was <laughs> live. I was very much in favor of seeing the Capitol overrun with Patriots. And I don't need to uh, explain that. It was, it was all live. You can see it for yourself if you care to go back. Me too. I remember watching that day and, and looking back, I cannot be happier that that is the uh, source or you, you were the source that I got all my information from. Cause dang dude, when I talk to normie people, they just repeat these stupid lines and it's like, they didn't, they're watching through the filter of uh, MSNBC or something. And it's uh-huh. like, God, that they, they have already been poisoned in that way. So difficult to, to, you know, uh, reverse the poisoning that they've gotten. Right. Yeah, and people get emotionally attached to all of this stuff, and it makes it really difficult to talk about. You know, during the the wedding I was at last weekend, I was talking to some people about Israel, and, like, I didn't even have the heart to tell them that everything they believed was fake. Like, they were... And we, we didn't get into specifics, but they just kept going, the stories I've heard about what happened on October 7th, I mean, they're gut-wrenching they're churning they're like starting to tear up and i'm just i like don't even have the heart to be like 
Those are all lies. You're, you're believing lies. The 40 beheaded, beheaded children never existed. But these are the things that are making them like have these like emotional reactions. But they're not true. Like the 40 beheaded babies or like be- babies being baked or like January 6th was an insurrection where they beat Brian Sicknick to death. It's just like these are lies, people. You're, you're getting worked up and you're getting emotional over lies. And you like can't even tell them that, can you, Billy? They, they It like suddenly becomes no. that. It's like they can't acknowledge that it's true, so it suddenly becomes that it's true, and now you're mocking Brian Sicknick's death. Now you're the bad one because you're taking this tragedy and you're questioning it. It's like, but it was never, it never happened. So why? How are you going to be so upset about it? it? It's infuriating, Billy. Harry, I've come to a conclusion that I'm not sure is right, but it's what I'm rolling with. It. I don't know if I am capable of waking people up. I'm certainly not as articulate as you know you and other hosts and Alex and them and, and as knowledgeable, so I may not come across as a good waiter for them, but uh, man, I, I, the thing is, I don't know if I could have been woken up by someone else. I had to do it myself. Mm. And I think that's the case with most. That's key. Not all, but most. That's key, man. That, that absolutely is key. And again, I'm going back to the you know, conversation I had this weekend where it was like, I was just saying things that I thought everybody knew. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, they were like, they were like appalled that I believe these things. I'm just like, you don't know that. Like, I haven't brought up, you know, Pearl Harbor. I was like trying to explain. Cause I was saying like, well, you know, Israel let October 7th happen. Like they had warnings, they had uh, acknowledgements. They waited seven hours to deploy the army. Like they knew it was going to happen. And they were like, well, you think Israel attacked itself? And I was like, well, you know, it's kind of like what happened with Pearl Harbor, where like, you know. Forrest Gump, right? I mean, this is where we're at. And I'm just absolutely speechless. Um, I'm, I'm not asking for a dime of help. Wouldn't take it. Uh, I've heard a few people uh, call in and e- e- express the same situation. Uh, and uh, y- y- we're sitting here as vets and Americans, uh, homeless. I'm not. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I got it better than most people in this world. I'm uh, land rich, cash poor. Mm. You know, I've got three tons and, uh, you know, a six foot tiller for my tractor. I don't, don't have any help, but you know, I'm not going to go hungry. Um, so where are we at America? Uh, you know, I I'm, I'm to the point to where, you know, I've said it before, uh, compulsory service, uh, I'm two shakes of a dog's tail from going back to Texas in military uniform, which I have the legal right, the moral right to, to wear. It's an obligation. My name's on the Declaration of Independence. Is yours, right? Who wants to erase my name off that Declaration of Independence? What state representative who wants to hide behind the badge wants to stand in front of me and erase my name off that declaration? I'll go to jail. I promise you. I swear to God. Well, right. so, uh, so, I mean, I like, I like the, the question that you're asking, like, what, what would it take to wake people up? Is it even possible to wake people up? Cause yeah, at a certain point, you know, I'm reminded of, I mean, there, there's lots of like, of instances you can find in, you know, true crime documentaries and stuff. But even in my personal life, I was having a party one time in, in college and my neighbor was over and I, I basically caught him stealing from me red handed, right? Like just caught him in my closet, like on his hands and knees, like digging through my stuff. And then he's sitting there denying it. And he's going, no, no, I was, I was waiting for the bathroom. And I'm just like, 
you try to talk to him for a little bit and you try to explain like, no, I just saw you right there with my own eyes. I saw what you were doing and there's like, nope, wasn't me. And at a certain point you go, okay, you know exactly what you're just lying to me. You're just lying to my face. I can't take this. I'm not going to take this anymore. Like at a certain point when they're telling you the border is secure and when they're telling you that transgenderism is loving and good and mutilating your children is the best thing for them. Like at a certain point, the talking's got to end and we have to do something about this. But the problem is that we can't do anything as we, I mean, we can do things as individuals, but what's necessary is a mass movement, a populist movement. We need, I mean, right now they're actually having victory in Germany where the farmers have shut down Berlin and they're essentially forcing reversals to the policies where they're trying desperately to destroy the farming industry in Germany by driving up prices and uh, ladling them with taxes and you know doing all the World Economic Forum stuff they're doing everywhere else. And the German farmers have stood up against it and are pushing back. And it's like, that's it. That's the goal. That's what's necessary for change. It's like... It's like we're, you know, at a at a, a funding drive and you have the the whiteboard with like the you know, temperature thing and you're trying to fill it up and every dollar you add another line and you're like we're trying to reach $100 to fulfill our goal. It's like 10,000 people. We need 10,000 people to mobilize, to be able to be willing to go on the streets and spend as much time and energy and effort and money as necessary to make a change, to Occupy a government building until we get our demands to flood, you know, streets of a downtown and refuse to leave until, you know, we're allowed to air our grievances and actually get recompense for it. Like just 10,000 people, if we could get 10,000 people to say, I'm dedicated, I'm in, I am fully committed to this cause, then that would be it. But it's like every every 10 people you get, there's 10 more people that I have a really important meeting in the morning. Or, well, I would do it, or but I'll just donate my, my money to this other group. I don't really have time to be involved. It's like if we could just get those – just like the farmers. They got 10,000 farmers. They stopped the law. They ended the law. They protested peacefully in the, refrain, uh, the, the restraints of their constitutional rights as Germans. They changed the law. They got it changed. They didn't discuss. They didn't debate whether or not farms should be shut down. That's a stupid conversation. You're just under attack. People aren't going to come to a realization where they go, gee, maybe we shouldn't destroy the farms that we're trying to. I didn't realize what a stupid idea this was. They know what they know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. So you just block the traffic and say, I'm not moving until you stop doing what you're doing. You just force them to listen to you. And that's just what we need to do. We just need a mass number of people unified and committed to a single cause and i feel like all of our problems could be over i mean if you had ten thousand people who were like agreed okay two weekends from now we're all going to go to eagle pass and we're just going to form a human chain and not let anybody pass and if the government if the u.s government wants to try to fight us then they'll have to fight us like we're just no we're not we're not starting the fight but we're going to go and put our bodies in the way of the illegal immigrants and we are going to physically stop them from entering our country. And I think if you got 10,000 people to do that, it would be, it'd be a game changer one way or the other. It would drastically alter the trajectory. Because right now, and this is the big problem, an interruption is needed. The path that we're traveling down now, humanity is traveling down. Without a change, 
we know the consequences. It's prison planet. It's depopulation. It's the slow but inevitable and continuous degradation of our standard of living and way of life and, of course, our rights being willowed away, winnowed away bit by bit, piece by piece. Little restriction here, little restriction there. Years from now, it, you turn around and you have nothing. It's just little, you know, individuals being arrested. It's like the uh, Solzhenitsyn story where he's going, you know, if just if we just stood up, we just loved freedom enough to fight back when they came to get us, then they would stop coming to get us. But instead, you go, well, you just take this person here and then that person there and then that person there. And sure enough, you do that day after day, night after night. Turns out everybody's gone. Everybody's at the gulag all of a sudden. So without an interruption, without a deliberate outside force changing things, we know where this heads. So we're just we're, – we're in a position. If you're fighting a war and it's a war of attrition, we have less supplies than them. The outcome is inevitable without a change. If you're in a siege and they're surrounding you and you have three months of supplies and no way of getting supplies in, then the outcome is inevitable. Three months from now, the conflict is over and you've lost. So you have to have a change. You have to sally forth. You have to do something. You have to do something. Right now, if we don't do anything, the outcome is inevitable. They don't have to do anything is, is the point, right? The Democrats, the leftists, the socialists, the globalists – they're on the path that they want to travel down there. We're going towards the totally open border, totally destroyed prison. People going around and knocking on doors. It's like the, the, full, the full scale media assault where these people's faces and names were published in every newspaper like they were. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. In fact, somebody posted, I think, in wokeness on uh, Twitter, posted the video from New Jersey where it's the police like storming through a backyard and there and he's like these are the police hunting down the people in Epstein's client list just kidding this was a January 6th protester last month so yeah they're still like ruthlessly hunting down people that literally walked through doors open for them by police and yet they're being treated like uh, domestic terrorists but you get that this is everything right they could if, – if they treated the people running the invasion of the southern border with the same severity that they treated January 6thers, right? Because you know you had – you have people sitting in jail right now for decades, Stuart Rhodes among them, who weren't even – never even went in the Capitol, never did anything. But because he was on text chains with people who entered the Capitol, like they didn't even do anything. Like the, the degrees of separation away from an actual crime – is like four or five. So if they wanted to stop the southern border, uh, you get an immigrant. You say, who told you to come here? Whoever he says, you go to them. You arrest them. Who are you working for? Who gave you the money? You go and you arrest them. I mean in a week, in one week, you could arrest 10,000 people, and the whole situation would be over. It would be done. And here's the brilliant thing. These organizations that are doing this are funded by billions of dollars. That could be confiscated and used to pay for the repatriation of the people that they've brought into the country. It would not even cost us anything to do this. It would make us money at the end of the day. So whether it's the pedophile networks of Jeffrey Epstein or the other ones that still exist and are in operation or the southern border or the Antifa Black Lives Matter mobs that destroyed entire communities and, and defunded the police leading to a massive spike in crime rate. Like any of these things could be solved 
tomorrow. That's the entire point of the frustration, right? Is that like there's no point in being frustrated at a flood, right? I'm not going to sit there and be like, ah, the water is raising. There's nothing I can do about that. It's just happening. It's a natural occurrence. I can try to mitigate the consequences. I can try to deal with it, but you just, you shoulder the load and you carry on because it's a natural consequence. It's a natural thing that happened. It was unavoidable without some, you know, it's just nothing you can do. It's a natural occurrence. But then in this case, we have to sit here and be subjected to the unraveling of our of our entire society by people that are choosing to do it that are willfully committing resources to destroying militia networks who've never harmed anybody ever while allowing criminal rape networks to go completely uncontained so i'm sorry i i I broke you off there uh, uh icarus but You're exactly right. How easy it would be if they would just subject the actual criminals to the things that they're doing to regular people, which, again, it's like if you think about the prison planet and you think about the surveillance and the intrusion of the spy networks and the lack of privacy, it wouldn't even be that bad if it was actually being run by good people. But it's like. These things that are going into place, the control networks, the, the digital IDs, the surveillance and monitoring and all this stuff, it's literally being operated by the pedophile, murderer, warmongering psychopaths. If it was run by people that just cared about America and just loved America and loved justice and truth and they were just using like this extreme surveillance where it's like uh, we're going to go after this guy because he said something bad about the government online and the person in charge is like, what the hell are you talking about? No, we're going after the guy selling the naked pictures of children. That's who we're going after. All resources dedicated to stopping the violation of the children, please, and then it would just be over, and it would just be done. So that's where the frustration comes in. There's nothing about this is natural or unavoidable or impossible to deal with. What we're dealing with are the people in charge making decisions to do these things, to allow these things to happen, and to target the people that are trying to stop these things from happening. So sorry to cut you off there, Icarus, but you're exactly right. Um, you know, it like it shows also that like how deep that rabbit hole goes, you know, and the complicit nature of being involved with it, not once, but multiple times over and over and over again. And that's key to the overall goal, which is this weird breeding program they have going on in the background, which has been done in different civilizations, I guess, but I think it's really bizarre. And um, the second thing I wanted to talk about it, uh, you have time, is the Parker mission, where, like, the NASA is sending this, uh, space probe literally into the sun and it's going to beat the uh, world record of fastest man-made object they're going to sling it around venus and they're going to throw it through the sun's atmosphere and has this crazy shielding on it and i'm worried that they're going to use uh, the hidden hand has technology on there that uses uh, cymatic uh, microwaves and frequencies to mess with the sun's fission fusion process which is very delicate and can, like, cascade to the core, and then they can say, like, oh, look at the sun, it's acting weird, climate change is real, now you got to bow down, you know? Mm. Because if you control the sun, you're basically con- controlling the thermostat, you know? Well, I, I, wonder, I wonder if they're capable of doing that. I mean, again, the, the sun is so 
unimaginably massive, I, I honestly struggled. I mean, humans can't even really mess with Earth that much. I mean, everything that we do is still very much on the liminal surface of the Earth. Like, we can we can move mountains technically, but, you know, we're not about to knock the Earth off its axis or anything. Uh, I and, and how many sun, how many Earths fit into the sun? a million or something like it's so huge it's so massive i have trouble imagining anything america uh, americans human beings can do could really affect the sun all that much and i don't think they need to i mean they're literally already spraying metal into the air to block out the sun i i asked on twitter i don't think i've brought it up on the show yet but uh and this would be another good like man on the street thing is telling people that oxygen is a greenhouse gas and see if people will agree to uh, big machines to suck the oxygen out of the atmosphere because oxygen is why the uh, earth is warming because it's there it is quite clearly it's not any more or less ridiculous than saying carbon dioxide is a battle for the temple mount and so that was kind of shocking and it reminded me because we're all getting basically lost in the weeds and we all need to take a step back and and realize that's what they're that's what they are saying that's what they're talking about that's what they're discussing internally in israel and we, here in America and in the West, we talk about it in terms of politics, but we're not talking about it in terms of religion. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by religion, obviously, I mean like, you know, phony, phony, uh, Illuminati-controlled religion. This is not actually about uh, God, right? I mean, this is, this is about using religion to create the prison planet. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of, you know, the Mark of the Beast, it's a 2,000-year-old document that's describing essentially implantable technology that you cannot buy and sell unless you succumb to this implantable technology. But there's something weird about this technology. It makes you lose any chance of going to heaven, and you're condemned because basically you're probably going to have to worship the devil to get it in the first place. There's going to be some kind of ritual you're going to have to have to participate in. It basically, it basically is get- a satanic sacrament. It definitely is the ultimate satanic sacrament, and so. But there's another dimension to it, which is, which we've seen uh, through the mRNA and and the future, and what the previous caller, two callers back, was talking about about breeding and bloodlines and genetics, which is that it's possible that the mark of the beast, as it's known, will be an implantable technology that will permanently alter your DNA, mm. which could. Uh, some people have the theory, since everybody's DNA is a unique, what's called fractal antenna. That your soul, from uh, your soul being a higher dimensional object, is connected to your body by the unique signature of the fractal antenna of your DNA, and by changing your DNA to a certain degree, maybe adding a third strain, so it's a triple helix, which was in the Queen's coronation symbology, it, it would actually potentially cut off your free will and your consciousness permanently, and basically make you a zombie or an animal or a nephilim type thing or a well, God knows what. So. We don't know. There's all these things associated, all these things happening at the same time. And, uh, you know, these synthetic life forms that they're spraying in the air and they're injecting at us and self-assembling uh, technology. There, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. But the point is, is that it's about this Temple Mount. And if people out there don't know about the Temple Mount and what that means, then you've been kept in the dark intentionally. And so I'm trying to express to people, they are admitting publicly that's what this is all about there's the third most holy site in all of Islam, which has, I don't know how many people, 1.5 billion people on the earth. This is the third most important religious site for them. I'm not Muslim, but, 
you know, try to have some empathy and common sense. Uh, they want to demolish that, right? So that, how many people is that going to piss off, right? So people always try to predict what's going to be the catalyst for World War III. Well, I mean, that should be at the top of the list, right? I mean, just mm-hmm. common sense. If not World War III, then go back to the – it would be a callback to the Crusader era of holy war of Muslims versus non-Muslims. And that's probably where we're headed if they destroy that mosque, just based on common sense. And uh, it's very predictable. And they're right. saying it, if they win the battle in Gaza, that's what they're going to do. That's interesting. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it is sort of the elephant in the room, right? It was Al-Aqsa Flood was the October 7th mission from uh, Hamas. They called it Al-Aqsa Flood. Al-Aqsa is the mosque that currently sits on the Temple Mount. And uh, there was... A lot of discussion about like the idea was that they were just, you know, sometime in October, they were going to make the Jews in Israel going to make a big play to try to take over the Temple Mount and that Hamas launched the attack preemptively, basically to prevent that from happening. At least that was the thinking in uh, in Hamas. So clearly it's like that's a major aspect to this whole conflict that you're right, doesn't get discussed very often. Right. So the key the key thing is that after they build this fake uh, model rebuild of the actual temple of solomon it's going to look exactly the same the dimensions the layout they're going to try to match it exactly after they build that everybody knows that's when they can roll out the messiah fake messiah right yeah the messiah which is not the second coming of christ but they will tell people it is the second coming of christ to the point where he will even do miracles he'll end world hunger he'll end world war and people will love him. And after he takes power completely, then it, they will roll out the Satan worship. The Satan worship isn't going to be up front. So people need to understand when your church or your pastor or whoever tells you you should await the coming of this Jewish Messiah, that it's a good thing, uh, they are corrupted by intelligence agencies. And, and the, you know, the, uh, the, most co- the, the most common suspects, uh, you know, I don't even need to name them. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that this is a new Christian theology that has no basis in historic Christianity. The Revelation clearly says there will be a fake temple, there will be a fake uh, false messiah that will do miracles, that everyone will believe in him. He'll roll out some sort of vaccine passport where your currency, your vaccine papers, and everything will all be implanted in one thing, and everyone will be numbered. 666 is the number of a man. 666 is the number of the men. That means every human is going to be barcoded. Once every human is officially in the system, then that's the mark of the beast global system. And the AI God can be plugged in, and we are now entities in an AI database, nothing more than that. And, and, and so basically the point is, is that I don't know how you're going to cheer for the people who are trying to bring about the Antichrist. So, again, we, had a, we tried to call in and let people give the argument. And Pastor Sam, he didn't give an argument. He just said it's inevitable. God is letting this happen. Okay, obviously everything is according to God's will. I'm not going to deny that. But you, me, we should put effort against the Antichrist. We shouldn't put effort with the Antichrist. So there's a strange ideology here in America called accelerationism where they somehow believe it's good to facilitate the, the coming age of the Antichrist because then that will accelerate the arrival of Jesus. So it sounds like some twisted ideology to persuade people to throw their energy in with the Antichrist. And it, I, I just think people need to be aware of that. Accelerationism is 
Sounds very, it's like, what would the devil tell you? No, let me win. It's- Obsessively downloaded every video we possibly can from January 6th, every instance of uh, somebody uploading anything. We just, I've just got a whole folder, gigabytes and gigabytes, almost a terabyte <laughs> full of yeah. stuff from January 6th. And I've always just thought, man, if I could just put this on a timeline, I could get a real picture of what actually happened that day. And this is the beauty of uh, having a, a widespread network of people doing these things. I didn't have to. You guys did it. So uh, tell us why now, three years after, was it important to publish this documentary? Well, Harrison, I had very much the same thought that, that you had. Um, you know, I was in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. I was at the on the ellipse at the rally and and I never went to the Capitol building. So I actually experienced that day through mainstream media, the way Mm -hmm. the ABCs of the world and the ends of the world and the Fox News of the world uh, were covering it. And what I was hearing, hearing on the ground from people that were there, you know, around the building, uh, some went in, some didn't was something completely different from what the news media had decided was the story on day one. So I figured, okay, well, eventually the truth will come out. It's the biggest, most reported on event that I've ever experienced, maybe since 9-11, arguably just as much. The truth will come out. A year later, we have the Jan 6 committee hearings. They did hundreds of interviews, thousands of pages of testimony, primetime audience, and they didn't give us anything close to a timeline in that first little 10 minute. I'll call it a sizzle reel done by an ABC producer. It's jumping all over the place time wise. It's showing things out of order. It's going two hours in the future to show violence. And then two. Hours. So I was like, OK, we're not we're not going to get the timeline. All right. That was June 2022. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of 2023, it took about a year to put this together Uh, Me and a small team of people decided, all right, we're going to we're going to have to do this. And for me personally, it was for my own edification. I wanted to create like I create documentaries to answer questions that I have for myself. Right. And if 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 sharing it with the world, if it interests people, it's like, great. So I you know, we started this a year ago and it's it's very, very hard. Let me put it this way. The government does not make it easy in what they release, how they release it, where you have to find it to even put something together like this. Now, there's a lot of footage that has been promised to us Mm -hmm. that hasn't been released. So it's like what you talked about from day one, downloading stuff, the parlor leaks, stuff people posted on social media, YouTube. That's what we did too. You said a terabyte. Ours is about two terabytes. And again, that's just crowdsourced stuff for the most part. So what I think this movie will do is give people a new perspective and give them context around what the heck happened at the Capitol that day. And uh, I'm, I'm getting really good feedback, actually, from both sides of the political spectrum that it actually answers some questions for them. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. And uh, like I said, this is exactly what we need because the timeline is important, right? You can show images of Trump supporters sort of rushing the police lines. But if you back up two minutes and you see that the Trump supporters are just standing there when suddenly a grenade gets launched into their midst and that's what inspires them to you know, run towards the police line, it gives a whole different 
concept as to what we're actually seeing unfold there. So is this is this a straight like as it happened timeline? And this is the thing. Since I haven't watched the the film yet, and I I really plan to, I'll have to do it later today because uh, again I've been very excited to see this come out, and I've been seeing people post it. I've seen so much good stuff about this on social media, so I've been meaning to watch it. And I was going to wait until I'd watched it to have you on, so I could you know be informed as I ask you questions. Uh, but since I haven't seen it yet, what's the structure of this documentary uh, going into? Is just is it a straight timeline, like from beginning to end, or how is this formatted? Yeah, that's a great question. So what this film is, it's a it's a chronological timeline. Everything in order. Start with timestamps on screen. That's that's also what's really important. Uh, so you could kind of follow along with this narration, with this voice on what's happening. The very first clip that we show is uh, 6 a.m. The, the, when the clock strikes six. So what's happening at 6 a.m.? And then through the morning, as people arrive at the ellipse, um, people are, you know, lined up all the way from the ellipse of the Washington Monument. Trump takes the stage, you know, a little after 12 p.m. At one, p- you know, right before 1 p.m. is when we have that first breach that that, you know, a lot of us have already seen mm-hmm. uh, with Ryan Samsel and Ray Epps at the at the gate at Peace Circle. I think uh Elijah Schaefer was there and he was one of the first to kind of like publicize video from that day. And we have it from a lot of different angles. Now the J six committee played it and then it just goes all the way through. And what it does is it shows multiple images on screen at the same time. Mm. So it's really interesting to see Mike Pence walking down to open up, you know, the debate in the Senate while Donald Trump is talking about what he wants Mike Pence to do all at the same time. Police officers and crowds on the West Plaza are already interacting. Right. And orders are coming down from MPD radio by that time. The less lethal team is being called in to set up. And we actually also see that some uh, pretty significant uh, Washington, D.C. MPD police uh, directives, actually laws, are violated in. Uh, their crowd dispersal um, orders that weren't followed. And so a lot of people don't know this. I didn't know most of this until I started, you know, watching it all and start trying to assemble it in order. Now, what one thing I'll say, I try my best not to editorialize in this because I really do want it to just be a straight, hey, here's what happened. It's not everything that happened. If I made a 50 hour documentary, I couldn't, I couldn't do everything that ha- happened. So I'm obviously making editorial decisions and what is in there and what is not in there. But I'm putting things that I think are significant to create context around all the things that we kind of have seen before that we have questions about. And, you know, in a perfect world, uh, I can make a longer one or other people can now sort of take the torch and do their own. And it's free. Like you can post it. You can rip it. You could download it. You don't even have to mention me. I just want this out in the world. And so, you know, to all viewers watching, if you do watch it and you like it, post it. That's that's what it's all about. Well, that's beautiful. And of course, that uh, is directly in line with our philosophy here at InfoWars, right? The information is the most important. We need to get this out. And, you know, when you're just putting out the timeline, you're just going, here's the images as they happen, as they unfolded. I mean, what are you going to argue? You know, what's what's the argument against that? They're going to argue against the the passage of time. I mean, you know, there's no argument to be made. You're just showing them uh, what's actually happening. I'm also loving this website. I hadn't been to this website before, but open.ink. You can see the documentary there. It's called January or it's called J6, a true timeline. 
or January 6th, the true timeline. It's there at open.ink slash J6. But also at OpenINK, you've got documents and collections and uh, like resources for investigating January 6th. Uh, We're about to go to break, but can you tell us a little bit more about this website? Yeah, so the people um, that have created and are behind open.ink, open.ink, well, Harrison, what I would, t- would tell you is I love telling stories. And as a filmmaker, there are a lot of ways um, that a story can come to you that you decide it's something you have to tell. If you asked me three and a half years ago or told me that I was going to be making multiple documentaries around a so-called insurrection or a violent riot at the Capitol, um, I would have said, what? Because I, I was working in a completely different field. COVID had sort of changed what I was looking to do. And it just I fell into it. Really, I did. Um, and I was put in a position where I had these stories to tell. I like Jake Chansley. Q sent me, met him before January 6th. And so I had this interview and I had this connection. And it was a really interesting story that I think kind of blew open the, the how media and the narrative gets created around somebody that was completely different, true, completely not true. Um, and so, so yeah, I would answer that by saying I, it is rewarding to tell really interesting stories that sometimes you're the only person who is in the position to, to, to telling them. Also, what I will say is there is not a lot of money in these kind of movies. Right. So, for those who for those who have called me a, a grifter, like, listen, you could criticize me. You could criticize my work. You can call me all the names in the book. You can't call me a grifter. That's one thing you can't call. It just makes <laughs> it just makes no sense. I mean, the, the grifting would be if you would uh, warp to these stories, tell the mainstream uh, narrative, because that's what pays. And every, everybody knows that. That's so funny. So, no, yes, you're not a grifter. Paul Escondon is very much the real deal. And, of course, uh, people can support your work by going to MyMoviesPlus.com and using the promo code SHAMAN, as in Q SHAMAN, but just the word SHAMAN, uh, to get a discount on that. And we've been huge fans of My Movies Plus since uh, it came out, and it's been uh, hugely successful, still running after a couple years, which is uh, rare for uh, you know a big tech startup like that. And Q sent me the second episode uh, is out now. The first episode was amazing. I'll have to watch the second one because it does. It gives you an entirely different perspective, even if you're familiar with this stuff, even if you like like me or like us, like <gasps> – Excuse me. I'm in this all the time. I'm I'm aware of most of the reality of what's going on. But then when you actually see the footage behind the scenes, when you see the interviews, it really does give you a whole new perspective on it. So even if you're like me going, I know all of that. I know what happened on January 6th. You're going to learn something new from these documentaries. What's something that you learned that was unexpected in doing your research, especially for the January 6th documentary, J6, A True Timeline? What did you learn that you didn't expect? You know, there's so much I could say, but a couple of things that come to mind is um, I remember listening to the J6 committee hearings, you know, that was run by the Democrats. Mm-hmm. The two Republicans were Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, arguably not not very Republican. And so they had created this narrative that Donald Trump sent a tweet at 2.24 p.m., uh, and it's the tweet on January 6th where he says, like, Pence, you know, could have done the right thing. And it, it was pretty anti-Pence, to be sure. The crowd was already being violent in certain pockets at that time. And um, at the J6 hearing, the speaker says, one of the Democrats says, our investigation discovered that when Trump sent out that 2.24 p.m. tweet, 
a strong breach into the Capitol than occurred. Uh-huh. Now, I'm listening to that thinking, OK, I was told by everybody that there was very little Internet access. Right. And it's not like people were on their phones scrolling to see with what no little Internet access they had scrolling to see what Trump was going to tweet. So when I looked into the footage, I found that what actually happened was there was a series of misfires and improperly used CS gas canisters. And with the wind blowing back at them, the police essentially gassed themselves out of a line that they had held on the West Plaza for over an hour. Interesting. So that was just completely a false narrative that the J6 committee put out there. Now, in addition to that, um, it was really interesting once the MPD, the Metropolitan Police Department radio calls came out to hear how they were responding and the, the, the calls that were happening. Um, and we have a lot of those calls in the timeline. To this day, I don't think many people have ever heard the actual radio calls from the MPD, other than maybe a couple of the ones that were included during the J6 committee hearings. And it really kind of puts into perspective, what were the police doing? What were the police thinking? In this documentary, you see multiple police officers that say, we were set up. Right. We were set up to fail. We did not. Why did we not have the platoons? Why did we not have the resources? Because that first breach, there are only five police officers. I guess you could call it standing guards standing behind metal bike rack fences. There was no way that people were not going to get past them if they wanted to. and, And we saw what happened. So, yeah, there's just a lot there. I think the truth, it's going to still take years and years and years for the full truth. We need a real, I think, actual investigative body to do this type of work. I'm just the guys who sat on his computer for hundreds of hours and compiled this, right. you know, no, but with, you know what? with the help of but, some but others. Do, you know, don't downplay yourself because obviously this is not an amateur uh, effort. I mean, it's it's produced like like a documentary that we need, and we really do need this stuff. They, the, the other side, they've got the committees, they've got 60 Minutes and HBO, they've got a million different companies being funded to millions of dollars to produce propaganda that lies. We need to counter that. We need well-produced documentaries that show the other side because that's what convinces people, showing it in, in a full-fledged form, not in little bits, not something you have to hunt for on social media because you're interested in finding out the truth. Something you can present to people of any persuasion and say, here's the truth. The other side has that in abundance. We need more of that, and we need more Paul Escondons, and uh, we're happy we have at least one doing the hard work of getting the truth out there. Again, Paul Escondon is the filmmaker who directed and edited the new investigative documentary. It launched 